This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Shaw. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. And following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Christmas week pro football doc podcast. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to everyone. This is post week 16, pre week 17 pro football doc podcast. And let's welcome in our producer, Greg Peterson. Uh, happy holidays. What you got for the holidays, Greg? Happy holidays to you, Dr. Chow. Going to be doing a little bit of traveling, but I'm going to be doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We've got college basketball games on Christmas, and I am enough of a schmuck to actually be watching them. So there's that, but it's going to be filled with family, friends, sports. Well, sounds good. Sounds good. Well, interesting week 16 and then week 17 coming up here. Let's do our usual. We got a cool uh, special guest, someone that I've never met before, but I think will be very fun. He is very accommodating and uh, replied very quickly to agree to come on. Eric Wood, uh, Pro Bowl Center, formerly for the Buffalo Bills. And I think that'll be a fun discussion. But before we get to that, let's talk about some of the topics at hand. A few things here, um, lots of little things to talk about here. First of all, end-of-season strategy. Injuries are never judged in a vacuum. Look at what happened on Sunday. The Vikings, in theory, the Titans, in theory, playoff position, other things, and they rest Derrick Henry, the Titans do. The Monday Night Football game, the Vikings are resting Dalvin Cook. Both those guys could have played. But the Vikings are essentially locked into the sixth seed. Uh, I suppose, you know, if things go their way, they could win, end up winning the division, but they're essentially locked in. And the Titans, the big game is week 17 against the Texans. And so their loss against the Saints didn't really matter. And that's why they held out Derrick Henry. So you see a lot of these end of season strategy moves. And you'll see it this week. Uh, I think it already just happened. On Sunday, I said, Dwayne Haskins is not playing against this season, and uh, he's been ruled out. Uh, Kyler Murray is not going to play again this season with his hamstring, and he will get ruled out. And the reason why is these are the rookie stars, and you don't want to be hampered in the offseason. Uh, you want to get them in healthy. You're trying to protect your assets. On the other hand, I think uh, Mark Ingram isn't going to be able to, but with his calf strain. He's going to rest week 17. The Ravens may rest other players week 17. Heck, I think Julian Edelman probably gets rest week 17. Why? With his patella tendonitis, he can get week 17 off the bye week, assuming the Patriots lock that up, which they should. He doesn't have to play football for three weeks, and maybe that patella tendonitis can get better. So you'll see all these, some of these unusual moves this time of year. It all has to do with the end of season strategy, and this is why Injuries are never judged in a vacuum. They're always judged in the uh, bigger picture of what's going on. A couple other things there. Greg, it was really unusual what happened in Washington. 
I'd not heard of an owner going down to the medical area, leaving his box. And apparently after the game, Haskins initially said Snyder told him to stay out of the game. In theory, owners are not supposed to be communicating with the team. They're supposed to stay in the box upstairs. And with two minutes to go, they're allowed to come down to the sidelines and otherwise. Uh, you remember before, it wasn't an owner. It was a GM for the Browns texting down to the sideline and got fined for it. The Redskins quickly reversed field and said, no, 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 he wasn't dictating anything. He was just showing support. All he did was tell Haskins to follow the doctor's advice. Then they got Haskins to release a quote, and they got the doctor to release a quote. Doctors never talk about injuries, but the doctor said through Washington Redskins PR that uh, she had not cleared him to return to play. And I think in some ways it's much to do about nothing. It's not like Snyder told Haskins, you go back out there and play. He was telling him, don't go back out there and play and listen to the doctor. So was he meddling? Maybe. But he wasn't doing bad things. But technically, I don't know that that's supposed to happen. And that's why you saw the backtracking. My only question from this is, if the doctor never cleared Haskins to return, then why was he not declared out? I get it, Greg. From the start, he's listed as questionable. Every team does that. He's questionable because we're trying to figure it out. But after being questionable with the ankle, he was downgraded to doubtful. Why wasn't he just downgraded to out if the doctor hadn't cleared him to return to play? Anyways, I'm sure that'll get sorted out by the league and otherwise. But I found that a little bit of an interesting topic. The Raiders, Trayvon Mullen, who was carted off the field with a head, maybe neck injury, ended up flying home with the Raiders and seems okay. Better safe than sorry. And the final thing that I want to talk about here, Greg, in the early going, maybe you know this. It seemed like a lot of people didn't. Sam Darnold on a strip sack fumble uh, on follow through with a karate chop kind of got hit in potentially the sensitive area in the groin there. And I just made a comment on Twitter and, and it sort of lit up. Did you realize that, that NFL players don't wear cups? I did not know that. I thought that it was sort of a player's decision, and I'm sure that a lot of players would be like, yeah, it's uncomfortable and everything like that because we always attribute cups with baseball. And I personally, when I was playing peewee football, I did wear a cup, so I'm a little bit surprised by that. I'm not aware of any NFL players that wear a cup. Wow. And the reason, and the reason why, it's not just a comfort issue. It restricts your hip motion. First of all, most of the guys, almost all of them are very muscular. So there isn't a lot of room in there for a cup. But also, it restricts your hip flexibility and mobility. And that's a lot of your speed, agility, and change of direction. So I'm not aware of any players that wear a cup ever. Jockstrap, yes. A cup, no. I'm not aware of anyone that wears a cup in the NFL ever. And it's just a functional issue. I mean, the fact that you're a sports nut and didn't know that, I guess it makes sense to why Twitter sort of lit up when I when I talked about it. But cup is no bueno for an NFL player. They just don't do it. It, it. Nobody ever has. Look, I didn't play football at that level or really at any level, so I couldn't comment on whether I would have. But uh, I can tell you in the NFL, it doesn't happen. It's way too restricting in terms of being able to flip your hips and change directions and, and allow you 
to have all that uh, motion there. And part of it might have been because I was a very unathletic and slow offensive lineman, so there wasn't a whole lot of motion to be had for me. <laughs> yeah, and that's the uh, the big thing. Maybe we'll get into it with Eric Wood or whatever I get into with offensive linemen. Offensive linemen are not just big. You take any D1 college line, and they're as big or bigger than the NFL. It's speed and quickness that makes you an NFL offensive lineman in addition to size. It's not just size that makes you an offensive lineman. And then the final thing uh, for this early topic here, we'll talk about uh, the Cowboys plane fiasco. After they lost, they apparently had some mechanical issues with their charter. I got great humor off of some people saying Jerry wanted to leave him there behind. He was mad at them. Of course, you know, Jerry, like almost all owners, flew out on their own plane. They don't fly with the team. They fly on their own private planes. And he got out of there. It was just bad luck. I mean, this is an American Airlines charter. This was not anything that happened, anything nefarious, anything punitive. And at one point, I guess they were flying down a smaller plane. And there was some rumor that uh, some of the, the traveling party would be left behind because they couldn't fit. And, of course, the jokes were leave Jason Garrett and the coaches behind. You know, the coaches, as much as the players, need to get back home because they need a game plan for the next game. Who would have gotten left behind would have been, you know, maybe some equipment guys and scouts and security personnel and who knows who else. And, and if you were the poor media guy or sponsor that was on the plane, you were going to get left behind. But as it turns out, they made it out of there. I remember our – and this does happen. We had a flight once from a preseason game. It was – Pretty interesting, Greg, from a preseason game out of St. Louis. Um, and uh, if memory is not playing tricks on me, it actually was the game where uh, Kurt Warner was born. The injury to uh, Trent, uh, blanking on his name, the quarterback of the Rams. Rodney Harrison, un- unfortunately, hit him low. I've seen his face. Trent Green. Uh, Trent Green, thank you. Trent Green. Uh, tore his ACL and in the preseason and Kurt Warner era was born and career was born. After that game, I believe we had mechanical problems. We waited at the facility. Then we finally got to the airport and we waited on the plane for the mechanical problems. And we waited like three hours total. And because it already was a night game, by the time we were headed to, to San Diego to land, we get the overhead announcement that we can't land at San Diego Lindbergh Field because of the late night curfew because we're well past midnight. And uh, we're going to land instead at Coronado Air Force Base. Now oh, it's an extra 20-minute bus ride, no big deal. They say we're going to land, but we might have to wait because the buses are coming from the airport, San Diego Airport, to Coronado. And then they said, oh, well, I got some bad news. Uh, we're going to have to land. We can't land in Coronado because of fog, and so we're going to land in Los Angeles. So that's a solid two-hour drive away without traffic. And uh, everyone was groaning about that, and I was like, that's not good. And I said, guys, and the story isn't over, as I told the people sitting around me. They're like, what are you talking about? So we're going to land in L.A., and everyone's bemoaning a two-hour bus ride back to San Diego. That may be true, but where are we going to get five buses at three in the morning in LA at on last minute notice? We're going to w- end up waiting at LAX 
for two plus hours as our buses from San Diego drive up to LA to come get us. Because where are you going to get other five coach buses like that at 3 a.m. on a Saturday night? You can't get them. Sure enough, we land and there are no buses. And I remember the team, they were taking taxi cabs, renting cars. There was a broadcast guy from the team broadcast radio guy. And he sat in the row behind me and he heard me say this. And he said, so he called from the airplane. You know, you had to put your credit card into the phone in those days. And he ordered a limo for himself to get to San Diego. And he goes, since you turned me on to this and saved me all this time, you, you can ride with me and whoever else you want to ride with you. And literally we had 11 or 12 guys packed in the back of that limo, <laughs> that stretch limo. It actually wasn't that uncomfortable because it's not like you could, I mean, you couldn't lay down because everyone was shoulder to shoulder, but you kind of got propped up by the guy next to you. <laughs> so we actually got home by 5 a.m. Everyone else got back at 8 or 9 a.m. that day. So uh, we've had our plane troubles too. Small consolation. At least that was uh, preseason. Well, let's take a quick break and then uh, from the Pro Football Doc podcast, and we'll come back with our special guest in segment two. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Schaff. All right. Welcome back to uh, segment two of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Very pleased to have our special guest on today. A guy that I don't know at all, but a guy like I feel like I know because he just comes across as always such a good guy. I know we know some people in common, etc. But a Pro Bowl center, now media person, related to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Eric Wood, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's an honor. No, absolutely. I I, I see your good stuff and you're, you know, you're the, for years you played with the Bills, you were anchoring their line at center and uh, now you're the good luck charm. You, You get them to the playoffs in your first year calling the games. Yeah, my last year with the Bills, 2017, we make the playoffs, and uh, this year they made it in much less dramatic fashion than we did then. Uh, They'll have the opportunity this week if they want to rest their starters or not, Uh, something we did not have the luxury of doing. We needed to win week 17 and get some help, and and luckily that happened right before my career ended. But um, I am not going to take any credit for this season just being uh, the radio analyst. They uh, have done incredible things with that organization over the last three years with Sean McDermott and Brandon B. And he, ever since the Pagulas uh, bought the team, just the direction has been absolutely incredible of that franchise. All right. So let's start with this simple question. It's it's headed to week 17, and a lot of people have their playoff position secured, like the Bills. Um, as an athlete, as a former athlete, rest or play? What's your uh, What's your thought? You know, especially towards the end of my career, I would have definitely enjoyed the rest, uh, mentally and physically. Uh, the, the, the season is an absolute grind, and it starts with training camp in late July. And, and a lot of guys are fighting to make the team through the preseason, and, and that's almost uh, a mini season in itself. There, then, if you're fortunate enough to be a starter, then and you stay healthy, uh, you've already had 15 games under your belt in a regular season on top of what you did in the preseason and and I would have loved a break now early in my career 
maybe I would have liked, you know, just one more chance to get comfortable in the offense, get my feet under me right before the playoffs. Uh, but I definitely know towards the end of my career, I would have loved a week off. Can a team lose momentum with too much time off? Let's take, for example, the Ravens, the hottest team there. They're the number one seed in the AFC, and they've secured that. They have week 17 that doesn't matter. Then they have a bye, and then they have to gear up for a divisional game. Is that too much rest or uh, two weeks off for, i.e., no football for three weeks? per se, in terms of game competition. Is that too much? Do you lose momentum, or is that good for health later in the season? You know, I wish I could speak on this from experience, but I can't. Um, But my outside-looking-in viewpoint would be, I think the risk of injuring a key player, let's say Lamar Jackson, your quarterback, likely the league MVP, you know, what you lose from maybe a sharpness standpoint come their first playoff game if you do rest them in week 17 and they will obviously get the bye i think the injury risk outweighs what you may lose in terms of sharpness because if you lose lamar jackson in this last game trying to play him and keep him sharp if you lose him for that first playoff game you will be an underdog at home with RG3 as your starting quarterback. And that's no offense to RG3. We're talking about the league MVP. You also have guys like Mark Ingram there. You have veterans in the secondary. Earl Thomas, uh, another guy who I would definitely rest if I was them. And there's a number of guys across the board. Um, Ronnie Stanley's been dinged up this year. Orlando Brown, their right tackle's been dinged up. Marsha Yanda's uh, a double-digit uh, year starter in the NFL, one of their guards, perennial pro bowler. Those guys, I would say, definitely need uh, to take week 17 off. Well, you know, like I said, we've never talked before, but that's kind of been my feeling. Obviously, I never played the game, and people often ask me, you know, medically rest or play. I, I go, that's an individual decision based on a team and, and, and a player. And, and you're right, if you're a veteran guy and this is old hat for you. The rest, I think, does you better. If you're a young guy, it might pay to just keep rolling because if you're on a roll, keep it going. I don't know that it's one answer for an entire team. you got to look at the culture of the team. But even within the team, the answer may be to rest the O-line but play the D-line, you know, depending on on what the situation is. And, of course, you can't rest everybody. you still got to suit up a team. There aren't that many extra players that you can really rest all 22 of your starters. You're right. With a 53-man roster and 46 guys dressing on game day, um, you you can't rest everybody. And even the guy, some of the guys you do rest will have to be in uniform in case one of the backups do get hurt. And, and you said maybe you rest the O-line but not the D-line. If you rest the O-line, you sure as heck better rest the quarterback then because you are not going to roll him out um, <laughs> behind backup offensive linemen. And, and so uh, it becomes – kind of a chess match and 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 it becomes a big thinking game for you as a head coach on who you want to truly rest who you want to see out there um and all coaches are competitors you know these guys don't get to be one of the 32 uh leaders of 53 alpha men in the entire world 32 leaders in the entire world leading these franchises they don't get there by not being competitors sometimes it's hard for them to say hey we're going to roll out some backups and and maybe not win this game, but we'll gear up for the next week. Uh, I know from playing in even preseason games for a guy like Sean McDermott, he wanted to win those, and he was ticked off when we lost. So, um, you know, it's going to be one of those deals where Sean's going to have to trust 
um, trust his mind here and probably not his gut or his heart because he's such a competitor. Uh, you know, he's not going to want to pull the dogs off. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. So uh, you got a close look at the uh, Bills and Patriots game on Sunday. How close are the Bills to the Patriots now? Is it just a bounce of the ball? Have the Bills improved that much? Have the Patriots regressed? What's your take on the situation? You know, I think the the Bills over the last few years have definitely progressed. You know, as a franchise, uh, you're talking about a team that that is looking at hopefully their franchise quarterback in his second year. He's 22 years old, uh, a middle linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds, who's phenomenal, a first round pick for them as well. He's 21 years old. You have Tre'Davious White in his third year, regarded as probably second or third best cornerback in the game right now behind Stephon Gilmore and and maybe a couple others that you could put right there in that conversation. But they have built a team with some really strong young pieces up there. They have some great veteran leadership. I think they are on the rise. Um, the Patriots, though, uh, they continue to get it done and they continue to get it done against the Buffalo Bills. I believe they're 35 and 5 in their last 40 games against the Buffalo Bills and two of those five losses Tom Brady was not in uniform. Uh, one was deflate gate, one was rested. This is a team that has been absolutely dominant over the Buffalo Bills. This year they have a game in Orchard Park earlier this season, uh, a 6-point game that the Bills lose and they had a punt blocked for a touchdown and they have the ball uh, in the Patriots red zone with the chance to win the game. We rewind this week to Saturday. Uh, similar deal, seven-point game. The Bills have the lead uh, late in the game. The Patriots get a seven-point lead. Bills, again, the ball in the Patriots' red zone with a chance to win the game. So th- these franchises are very close where they're at right now. Uh, the Patriots are still finding a way to beat the Bills. And if it comes down to it in the playoffs, I'm anxious to see with a third crack at it, with Josh Allen with a third look at this Patriots defense, which is playing at almost a historic rate this year. I mean, they're absolutely phenomenal. Um, I would love to see Josh Allen and what he can do the third time around playing them this year. Yeah, you make a great point. I always think that uh, it's very hard. It's hard enough to beat a team twice in a season, but three times, that's really difficult to do. I mean, uh, the team, you look at, I, I make it overly simplistic to friends when I try and explain this. Look, the team that wins the first time tries to do more of the same things, and the team that lost tries to change it up a little bit. Well, now you do that two times in a row. You kind of know what the the team that won twice is going to do the third time, and so it sort of gives the uh, the team that's zero and two the better chance to come back and win one. So we'll see what happens if uh, if it comes to a head there. Um, your whole time there in Buffalo and unique in this capacity. I mean, you played your whole career in Buffalo. Uh, with one team, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, did you ever uh, mingle with the fans? Did you, and did you ever crush a table? Uh, how did that tradition even start? What's what's your what are your 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 interactions with the fans and the craziness and the and the table breaking, jumping, whatever? Yeah, truly blessed to spend my entire career up in Buffalo, and that fan base is special. Similar to maybe a more similar to college, where there's. Uh, acres and acres of tailgate lots around the stadium. And you can do that more in a small town like Orchard Park where the stadium's situated. And, and this fan base embraces you. Uh, we, we, A lot of us players live in Orchard Park, so the fans see you at the grocery store and they see you when you're out to eat with their family. And, and they absolutely love their Buffalo Bills up there. Um, 
the, the kind of like the rise of barstool sports and social media drew a lot of attention to maybe the, the few Bill fa- Bills fans that were taking the tailgating to an absolute extreme and, <laughs> and doing the t- slamming through tables. Well, when, when you put it out there and when you put these guys on a pedestal, well, then everybody wants to get there. And, and so um, I, I've never put someone through a table. And, and as an organization, I know the Bills um, try to separate themselves any um, – like team owned lots there's none of the riffraff going on there so if you go to a game and and i highly recommend anybody listening to attend a game in orchard park it it truly is a special place to watch a football game uh you likely won't run into it unless you go looking for the table slamming and uh some of the stuff you've seen online but uh the bills fan base in general is absolutely incredible a couple years ago when andy dalton threw the touchdown uh to beat the Ravens and send the Bills to the playoffs my final year in 2017, they flooded his foundation with money as a thank you. Uh, this fan base just rallies around um, great causes, and, and it's truly a special deal. Yeah, I agree with you. And the other thing about the table jumping is, you know, it's kind of mainstream now because, you know, Fox is promoting in the WWE stuff every every week, right? And Friday and that. So it, it kind of is a sign of the times. But Eric, I would agree with you. I've always described Buffalo. People often ask me what stadiums are cool and what's this. And, and, and my sleeper I always give people is Buffalo. Uh, and hopefully you won't dislike this description. But everyone thinks of, you know, you talk about stadiums and atmosphere. Okay, the Jerry World and, and, and with the Cowboys, that's a special stadium, obviously. And people often cite Lambeau for its historic nature and it's in a neighborhood. And I always called the Bills, and hopefully Bills fans won't dislike me for this. Uh, I always call Buffalo a poor man's Green Bay. A lot of similarities. It, it's, it's in a, the stadium is in a residential area. The fans are just all gung-ho for it. There's an incredible support in tailgating. Look, we used to do the walkthroughs at the stadium on Saturday, and the, the uh, RVs would already be there flying the Buffalo Bills flags as we did the walkthrough practice on Saturday. They'd already be set up. And, and the one area where I think Buffalo is actually better than Green Bay, there actually is a parking lot. In Green Bay, it's like there really aren't parking lots. And so you're tailgating in the houses and streets, literally in the neighborhood. Orchard Park, you're, the stadium's right among the houses, but there are still some parking lots. So maybe that's what leads to the historic tailgating that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. I've, I've, I've played a number of times in Lambeau. And Lambeau is, I mean, even as a player visiting there is special. It's historic. It's it's great. Um what the difference I see in those two places uh, in attending, and I've talked to guys in Green Bay. I've had a number of buddies uh, who have played for the Packers. They have a Sunday at one crowd, and then they have a primetime crowd, and they call that their Milwaukee crowd. And the Milwaukee, the people from Milwaukee will drive down for these big games, buy the tickets, and and if you are a Packers season ticket holder and you live around Lambeau and you live in that town, you'll sell your couple primetime games a year. To the Milwaukee fans, it'll pay for the rest of your season. That Milwaukee crowd's rowdy. Well, that's like what you get at week in and week out in Orchard Park, that rowdy, almost college atmosphere, the deafening uh, sound on third down. You know, we've played at Lambeau at one, and I'm not saying that we were a big-time opponent coming in either. Maybe they didn't have to uh, get all riled up for us coming into town uh, when I was playing, especially early in my career when we went up there. But 
to me, the atmosphere in Orchard Park, a lot more lively, more of a fun environment. Yeah, no, no, no question. And uh, I think uh, uh, it's special. I compare uh, where the Bills play and where uh, the Packers play to kind of Wrigley, right? I mean, <laughs> you're in the middle of a town, in the middle of, of, a, of a housing area with houses with, uh, with the stadium. So it's pretty cool. Well, let, let's move on a little bit since, after all, this is a pro football doc podcast. So uh, there is a, a medical component to this. Let's talk about you had your share of injuries. And quite honestly, uh, I remember, uh, you know, from afar, obviously, look, I've, we've never even met, much less have I examined you. I remember commenting on uh, on some of your injuries. Let's go through your uh, injury history a little bit, including, I guess, the neck issue that ultimately led you to retire. Yeah, so, um, you know, I come into the NFL having started every game for my freshman uh, the very start of my retro freshman year at Louisville, I never miss a game. I start 49 straight games at UofL, uh, never miss a game. You know, obviously there's dings along the way, but nothing major. And in my mind, I never missed a game in high school. In my mind, um, you know, I'm just built for football. I'm, I'm, I'm built to make it. Well, my rookie year, I start all the games. And, and game 11, we're playing Jacksonville Jaguars. And I do a uh, commutated tib-fib. Uh, Joe Theismann style and and so that was the start of my rookie year and that started a a, a string of surgeries injuries so 09 uh, tib fib 2010 I missed a couple games with a high ankle sprain year three you mentioned Jerry's world well the worst thing about Jerry's world is when you get hurt you trek back through the sports bar that you walked out through so I went back to the <laughs> locker room mid-game with an ACL PCL and lateral meniscus the following year to the other knee I did an MCL sprain um, and and the bills somehow some way gave me a contract extension after that season and I was extremely thankful it was incentive based uh, based upon playing time because I had missed so much well, then I go on to start 52 consecutive starts, which was the longest for any active center at the time. 2016 Monday Night Football at Seattle on the goal line. I did a broken fibula, and I did um, syndesmosis and uh, did some damage to the deltoid ligaments in my right ankle. On, on a normal podcast, I would just say I broke my other leg. Uh, on on uh, Pro Football Doc podcast, I'll give you the uh, the, the real terms. And then... Come back from that one in 2017, my final year in the league. I'm the only player on the team to play 100% of the snaps. The only one. We play the playoff game down in Jacksonville. Uh, we lose down there. I come back to get my exit physical, and I told the doctor, I said, hey, my wife is due any second in Louisville with our son. I need to get home. Just clear me for the Pro Bowl, and I'm out of here. And he said, Eric, you had some stingers this year. You had never had stingers in your life. Just get an MRI on your neck, and you can head out of town. I said, Doc, I, I – I need to go. And he said, well, get an MRI because if you go back to Louisville, you're not going to do it. And I need you to do this. So get an MRI and you can, you can leave immediately. So I, I get an MRI, drive down to Louisville the next day. He said, Hey, need you to get a couple of different MRIs. Um, there's a, on the South end of Louisville, they have a special MRI machine. Need you to go down there. My wife, uh, my, my son hadn't come yet. So go down there. I said, I get these MRIs. I said, is it bad news? He said, it's not great, but you know, let's let's check it out further. And uh, while my while my wife's getting induced, we are in the delivering room. I get uh, the phone call from Dr. Cappuccino up in Buffalo, one of the best spinal guides in the country, um, that my career is over and I'll never pass a physical again, based upon um, disc and bone uh, being into my spinal cord at, at C two C three. 
And even with a fusion at that point in surgery, uh, at C2, C3, you're too unstable to return because initially I said, well, Peyton Manning got a neck fusion. He came back and played. Why can't I come back and play? And they said, well, his was uh, four or five. Yours is two, three. At the time, I was seeking a lot of other opinions, and um, I spoke to an ortho guy in, in Louisville where our home in the offseason was, and he said, have you even seen the MRI yet? I said, I haven't. He said, drive to my office right now. I drove there, I saw the MRI, and he said, do you see how this is penetrating your spinal cord? He said, if this does any damage right here, you're looking at loss of respiratory function and paraplegia. He said, the fact that you know you made it through this season and, and you're walking and you're, you're able to function is a blessing and, and you need to be done. And so... Um, that, that ended my career. I had just signed a contract extension before the season. I loved the direction of the team. They were about to draft a franchise quarterback. In my mind, I was heading into year 10. I'm not sure how many more years I'd have played. I probably would have truly fought, played till the wheels fell off, but I would have loved to pour into a young quarterback like Josh Allen and, you know, um, played long enough to where my kids could truly appreciate it. Um, but you know what, uh, God had a different plan for me. And, and I'm truly blessed to be in the situation I am now to be healthy and be around the team. And I'm, I'm doing broadcast work for the Bills and I'm working for ACC Network through ESPN now. And, and, um, and I, I'm, I'm loving where I'm at in life right now. But that was an absolute uh, crusher at the time. Oh, yeah, because you, you weren't even prepared for it. You were looking forward to another season. And, and, and here you go. Yeah, thanks for, for all those details. Uh, I will tell you, I... I I kind of know and remember uh, your 2016 ankle fracture. I mean, I call it an ankle fracture dislocation, which is what it kind of was to, to tear the syndesmosis and break the fibula and the deltoid, et cetera. Did you, did you, when you were playing, I don't know if you were even aware of the silly thing that I do. I call it the medical Mike Pereira, right? I kind of tell right. people what things are and it's not diagnosing i mean it's it's i make no bones about it i'm watching on tv and doing a replay of it and so i'm not saying it's factual or, or and i'm not calling dr cappuccino or dr marzo or any of the trainers and say hey what does eric would have i'm just looking on tv and they wouldn't tell me anyways right because of uh, hipaa but i remember that ankle fracture and so forth when you were playing did, were you aware of people commenting on your injuries and and if you were, would you have cared one way or the other? Because sometimes I get fans that say, this is just wrong. You know, you shouldn't be doing this uh, for players. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, as a player, I don't think you pay attention to that, do you? You know, I think there's a huge difference between you doing it and um, someone random, whether they're in the medical field or not. You know, you have such a great reputation around the country that – I respect your opinion. I would A, not be offended by it, and B, there's a reason I follow you on Twitter, and there's a reason that we connected because I quoted you on the Buffalo Bills pregame the other day uh, and used your information. I appreciate um, how knowledgeable you are and, and, and know. I don't think any players are offended by you commenting on it. If anything, you provide an intellectual perspective on it. I mean, on social media – Anybody can create an opinion on there and someone could create a Twitter handle. I could be Dr. Eric Wood on there and I could start saying, oh man, uh, that guy went down on the ground. Uh, I'm sure that's an AC separation the way he got up from the ground. Well, he, heck, he might have a broken collarbone. You know, it's like, but right. for you to do it is much, much different. And like I said, there's a reason I follow you. I appreciate your work. 
Well, I appreciate that, Eric. I mean, I did have something fun happen last week. Tack McKinley had something with his shoulder, and I was surprised that he could come back in. And I said he's probably going to need off-season surgery, but he's pretty tough to be able to continue this at the other. And uh, I'm assuming it's him, unless it's someone running a social media account. I actually liked the tweet, and it was right after the game. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I mean, but but one thing I do do, Eric, is if especially if it's bad news, I've learned that I don't not that a player would ever see it because you're so busy and you're not getting on social media as soon as you get to the locker room or anything like that. But I, I don't tag them with an at. I just, you know, there might be a hashtag with their name or something, but I don't try and get them alerted that I'm talking about them, uh, et cetera. And, and I always say it's just an impression. It's not a diagnosis. And, and I also think that sometimes it helps people. For example, let's look at this uh, Sunday. I said all week, well, you know, you, you quoted the Edelman stuff where you had the patella tendonitis and so forth, and obviously he soldiered through. But look at a player like Dak. There are some people out there that are criticizing him that he had a bad game. But, I mean, I firmly believe that he had more than an AC joint sprain, that he had a rotator cuff contusion by the way that he fell down and jammed the cuff in the game against the Rams the week before. And it absolutely made sense to me that he couldn't push the ball downfield with any accuracy he had one completion for 41 yards that was underthrown, and the others were off target when he tried to push the ball more than 15 or 20 yards down the field. And he's mad enough after the game to say, no, it's not my shoulder. My shoulder was fine. In some ways, I'm not making excuses, but I think uh, it's re reality. He wasn't 100% when he played that game. And so in some ways, I'd like to think I, I try and help athletes in getting out their side of the story without their necessarily being seen as making excuses due to injury. Yeah, and that's great perspective. I, and and I've, I've played with AC sprains before. I've played with a pinch rotator cuff. No matter what he's got in that shoulder, I cannot imagine trying to throw a football accurately, depending on uh, whichever it is. I, I have a question for you because you mentioned the rotator cuff. When I did my ACL tear in Dallas, I, at that point, um, I had never torn a ligament before. I had just broken my leg. Uh, you know, in a high ankle sprain essentially is torn ligaments, but I, I had never had a, a major uh, ligament injury. Well, <laughs> I had a pinched rotator cuff going into that game, and I got bumped in the back on an interception. My knee kind of jolted, and that's when I tore my ligaments. When a guy has an injury they're playing through somewhere else on their body, um, I, I, I have always said this. I've always said you're more susceptible to injury. Is that a fact? To me, one of my sayings, and it sounds funny, is injuries beget injuries. And there's two different ways I mean that. No question, uh, let's say Will Fuller with his hamstring, he's more likely to get the groin than he's now out with. I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly, the backup left guard for the uh, Dallas Cowboys um, um, yesterday hurt his knee. And he went back into the game, and it looks like he may have broke his ankle subsequently. Uh, uh, you know, there's no question that injuries beget injuries because you're favoring things. This is why I say the, the Giants were smart to sit Daniel Jones because he's a rookie quarterback drinking from the fire hose. He's play, He finished the game with the high ankle, but he needs to take a deep breath and sit down and not worry about his high ankle when he's playing. Otherwise, he might get hurt more. And, and the other way I say injuries beget injuries is – Let's say you probably realize this. You on the offensive line, if your right guard or left guard gets injured, 
there starts to be a domino effect that happens at a position injuries begetting injuries because then uh, players are doing double duty, doing more practice, more fatigue, et cetera. The other thing, and it's happened a lot with the chargers. And I've talked about these cluster injuries, not only injuries begetting injuries within one player, but at a position group, because what happens is, you know, they're still doing, uh, the scout team, they're still doing uh, special teams, and now they're starting on the offensive line, right? And they're doing double, triple duty and fatigue and so forth. But also, you know, let's take the example of an offensive line. The reason why you're a starter and the reason why you're a pro bowler is you're able to dominate your blocks. And by dominating your blocks, you keep your feet moving and you're less likely to get injured. But, you know, the guy next to you who's the backup might not always be dominating their block, right? And so sometimes they just have to anchor down. And when you anchor down, that puts you in a position to be more injured. Or the guy next to you, I'm sure you always were happier to have your starting right guard and left guard next to you because you knew they weren't going to get lazy and throw their guy into you when you were, you know, and, 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 and get injured that way. I mean, there's all sorts of things that happen where injuries beget injuries within a player, but across a position group as well. Yeah, that's great information. Well, Eric, uh, like I said, I don't know what it is, and it, I think it has to do with O-linemen in general, but centers, for some reason, I've always talked and got along with centers. I mean, you guys are known as the, quote, smart guys, right? Offensive linemen in general are the smart guys, but the centers are, you know, you're the quarterback of the line, uh, et cetera. So I've enjoyed uh, this time here. I promised you uh, 15 minutes or so. We're longer than that because you were very engaging and uh I appreciate the time and uh, thanks for, for coming on. I mean, for a guy, I mean, like I said, we've never even met or chatted before and you're kind enough to come on the show here and I really appreciate it. And uh, I see you going places in your second career as well. So congratulations. Uh, I truly appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. I've been a fan of yours from afar. And when you reached out the other day, um, it, it, like I said, when I first came on, it's an honor to be on your podcast, Doc. Well, thank you very much, Eric. You got my cell. Text me anytime. All right, we'll take a break and we'll be back with section three, segment three of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. More now with Dr. David Chow, the Pro Football Doc. Welcome back to segment three, the third and final segment of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. That was fun with Eric Woods. I like that guy. Absolutely tremendous. It was just great to hear his story. And who knows what would have happened if it weren't for that neck injury. I would argue that he was on pace for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that was uh, that was pretty darn cool. And let's move on to the injury rundown for the week here as we are approaching week 17. Quarterbacks, obviously Dak Prescott wasn't himself. Everyone could see that, I think, more than the AC joint. Daniel Jones was indeed fine with his ankle, played very well. Dwayne Haskins with the left ankle. He previously had a right high ankle. His season is done. Not that it's that bad of an injury. They're not going to trot him out there injured. Mason Rudolph with a left AC joint sprain. And ironically, that happened the play after Pouncey, his center, went out. Here comes the new center, and the new center steps on his foot, and he falls down. Uh, the play happens, and he gets a left shoulder AC joint sprain. I think he could play. He could play through with an injection. We'll see. The Steelers need to win against the Ravens. The Ravens will be resting everyone. Interesting to see if they rest Lamar Jackson. He seemed to have a momentary muscle issue. Back within 
six plays. Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, and Mark Andrews had injury issues early in that fourth quarter. Thankfully, Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews seemed fine, and we'll talk about Ingram in a minute. Phillip Rivers with a thumb-slash-hand injury. I think he's fine. He's got the longest starting consecutive streak, 200, I don't know, approaching 20 games or something, 220 games. That'll continue next week. Kyler Murray, his season is done with a hamstring strain, right hamstring strain, and they're just protecting him there. On running backs, Derrick Henry was just rest. He'll play for the Titans against the Texans. Damian Williams made a good return. Josh Jacobs, I think there's a sliver of hope since there's a sliver of hope with the Raiders season with his scapula. James Conner is a big one. He injured his thigh. I think it's a quad strain. And fortunately, he had just returned to the lineup and, and he and Juju were, were playing for the first time in a while. And James Conner now out again with likely a, a quad strain iffy for this coming week 17, even though there are playoff implications. Melvin Ingram is the big one. Calf strain, I think it's a medium-grade calf strain. Yes, there is structural damage to the muscle, not to the Achilles tendon. He's going to miss week 17. He's going to have the bye week, and then he'll have another week before he has to play. So hopefully in three weeks, Mark Ingram can get pretty good when he needs to play again for the Ravens because the divisional match for the Ravens is literally three weeks away. So that he has going for him. Calf injuries can re-aggravate and linger. Hopefully the three weeks will be enough for uh, Mark Ingram. Wide receiver-wise, A.J. Green finally uh, given a peaceful ending uh, after missing 16 weeks. The Bengals finally put him on injured reserve with his ankle. Nelson Aguilar did not play, and I'm not sure if he will again this week for the Eagles, even though the Eagles won big. Over the Cowboys, they still have to beat the Giants to make it. I'm not sure Aguilar will be there. DJ Moore with a head injury. Most likely his season is done. James Washington with a minor ankle issue should be okay. Will Fuller, he's going to miss week 17 with the groin on top of the hamstring. Maybe he can be back for the Texans playoff game, the wild card round game. That is a possibility. Offensive line issues, Quentin Nelson had a concussion. Morgan Moses with a left ankle slash knee injury. His season may be done. At tight end, Mark, Mark Andrews with a uh, ankle issue, but I think he'll rest week 17, but be more than fine for the divisional round playoff game next. Zach Ertz reported that he broke his ribs. During the game, I thought that was a strong possibility, yet he returned to the game with a rib block, and now it's been reported he broke his ribs. He won't practice this week, but he'll play against the Giants. They need him, and he'll play. They need some pass catchers. Oh, I almost forgot the big running back ones. Seahawks. Chris Carson with a hip fracture. I suppose it's a Tua-esque injury without the dislocation. His season is done. Not sure if he needs surgery yet or not, but Chris Carson is done. CJ Procise broke his arm, so he's out for a little bit. And, of course, Rashad Penny tore his ACL a couple weeks ago. So the top three running backs for the Seahawks are out. Thus, rumors of Marshawn Lynch returning. Beast mode returning to the Seahawks. Watch out for muscle injuries uh, if he shows up there. Kenyon Drake got beat up quite a bit, but I think overall was okay. He avoided a knee injury. I think he got the wind knocked out of him once too, but uh, he should be okay. Some key defensive injuries. Leighton Vander Esch is still out. I still say he's going to need neck surgery. 
hopefully not the end of his career. Ronald Darby going to miss a couple weeks with a hip flexor strain. Lots of uh, injuries this time of year, but that's kind of our uh, quick rundown of our injuries there in terms of what's going on. We got any other pending questions out there in Twitter world there? Seeing someone asking about Jason McCourty, it looks like there's a growing injury for him. So I got someone on Twitter that is curious about that. Yeah, growing, hammy, any of those injuries for a DB is difficult. So that's going to be difficult. Oh, and look at this. I'm seeing on Twitter now, Cowboys linebacker Leighton Vanderish to undergo, quote, minimally invasive, close quote, neck surgery next month. MRI today set him in a different path. Greg, we've been saying for, I don't know, four or five weeks that neck surgery is in Leighton Vanderesh's future. Yep. This unfortunately ends his season here, but doesn't end his career. You know, he did have issues coming in from college. That's probably it for the uh, injury rundown here. And then for the beast of the week, I want to take a little bit of time here. The beast of the week easily could be Zach Ertz playing through a repression. That would have been my vote. You know, yeah, let me see if I can convince you why I think this is a better beast of the week. No question, Zach Ertz, tough as they come. And I'll give him honorable mention. But I'm going to say Dak Prescott. Here's why I'm going to say Dak Prescott. I still believe that his rotator cuff was injured, rotator cuff contusion, more than just AC joint. The man really didn't practice all week, was listed as limited, really didn't throw. On Saturday, threw maybe 10 yards, light toss. He's getting ready to throw and play in the game. And the rotator cuff makes it hard to throw the ball downfield and be accurate. He didn't look right. He didn't look himself. He couldn't really throw well downfield. He was inaccurate. He completed one ball for 41 yards, one deep ball, and that was underthrown. Several others were grossly inaccurate. And I think, think he could tell it was bothering him. Look, why does he get the beasts of the week? He's pending a new contract, but he wasn't worried about that. His team needed him. He was going to play. Are you going to play an 80% Dak or 100% Cooper Rush? No offense to Cooper Rush. You're not playing Cooper Rush against the Eagles in Philadelphia when the NFC East crown is on the line. Plays, and he plays well, as well as he could anyways. And judge for yourself how hurt he was. But here's why I make him the beast of the week. You don't hear boo out of the guy. At post game. how was the shoulder? Shoulder had nothing to do with it. The shoulder was fine. Look, we could all see the shoulder was not completely fine. But he was not going to use the shoulder as an excuse. This week was this first time in his career he wasn't full practice in a practice. He'd never missed a practice and was always full go until this week. For the first time ever, limited practice. He's a gamer. He plays through. He doesn't make excuses. I think he's a great leader because of that. Here's a quarterback shoulder, obviously injured, obviously with problems, yet no excuses coming out of him. He's just playing ball. So for that reason, I'll make Dak Prescott the uh, beast of the week. Take nothing away from Zach Ertz. All right. uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Week 17 upcoming. We'll have a podcast next week, but I'll be up in the mountains with the family a little bit watching week 17 a little ski vacation over the holidays happy holidays to everyone thanks for listening to the pro football podcast